Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and uh, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God. And uh, that uh, is going to include the remission of sins. And one of the things about uh, remission of sin is, which it's an interesting word, and we'll get into it in, in greater detail, but it has to do with setting the captive free. It's even translated liberty. It's translated forgiveness. Uh, the word remission is is also translated deliverance, and it's bandied about as if Christ has forgiven us, and we have a remission of sins because of the fact that Christ uh, shed His blood for us. And there's a lot of different uh, theologies or eschatologies or uh, doctrines floating around in the modern church that uh, really are not well substantiated by the actual words that we find coming out of the mouth of Jesus according to the Holy Scriptures. And so we should take a look at that so that we find out whether we are being bamboozled by ear-tickling, put-in-hand preachers who are not really doing what Christ said and... Uh, are actually teaching people to do contrary to what Christ said uh, because they don't really know Jesus Christ. They have invented an artificial Jesus Christ, a fake Jesus Christ, a, a false Jesus Christ, and they got people to believe in that and believe that their sins are remitted, that they are set free from their sins because they have jumped through some doctrinal hoops of saying certain words or or taking certain actions. And um, I got on this as I was studying uh, to prepare, you know, talking about baptism and, and infant baptism and immersion in water and all these doctrinal things that people place upon... You know, preachers place upon the people, priests and, and pastors place upon people based on their private interpretation of often what is just a few out-of-context quotes from the scriptures. And we see this with Paul's writings that people uh, invent all kinds of doctrines. And then, of course, there's uh, whole groups of people that don't like Paul and oppose Paul because, as we know, Peter tells us that Paul was going to talk to us about things that are hard to understand. And a lot of people don't understand what Paul was really talking about. And it makes it easier to understand Paul if you start reading Paul in the context of Paul and then understanding what Paul says that he preached Christ first so you have to understand Christ first. And if you've already accepted an image of Christ that is not true to Christ, then it makes it more and more difficult for you. You begin to compound 
your errors and assumptions about the gospel of the kingdom. And so we did a show a week ago, a little more than a week ago now. It's been, uh, it's up on, uh, on our page on John 3, uh, talking about people being born again. And right there in John 3, if you're still doing evil, that is evidence that you're not born again. And so then we have to go and find out, well, what, what is categorized as evil? Because these deeds were evil, as we see in verse 19. And this is the condemnation that light is coming to the world. That would be light is synonymous with truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and the light that comes to the world. But people don't know that light. They don't see that light. They deny that light. They deny some of the very commands of Christ. You know, that we're not to be like the governments of the Gentiles who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority one over the other. We're supposed to be taking care of one another through charity, not through forced contributions provided by, you know, uh, presidents and prime ministers and governments of the world who force people to contribute to the welfare of society. We're not, we're supposed to be taking care of the welfare of society, not through legal charity, through these men who exercise authority, but through faith, hope, and charity, true charity, which is true love. If you, if you force a relationship with other people, you know, you force somebody to give. I mean, uh, that, that's in essence what we saw in the, the recent trial of the uh, woman who was trafficking for that very wealthy banker who ended up supposedly committing suicide. That people were being coerced into a position where they literally could be forced to show sexual favors that's not love that's that that's that's evil and if you're forcing your neighbor to contribute to what you want you know not what jeffrey epstein wants but what you want then you are doing evil your deeds are evil if you're having somebody else force them then you're also still doing evil. If you desire those benefits so much that you don't care where they come from, you don't care who is uh, forced to contribute so that you can have the benefits, you just don't care about that, you want the benefit, then your deeds are evil. You're not born again. There is no remission of sin. You're not saved. You're just under a strong delusion that you're saved. Now, if you put that together, you'll realize that many, many of the people who say they believe in Jesus, who say they're born again, or say that they their sins are forgiven, are simply under a strong delusion. And, of course, Jesus warned us that this would be the case, that there would be all kinds of people thinking that they're doing all kinds of wonderful things in Christ's name and converting all kinds of people to believe in Jesus. And they're actually workers of iniquity because they're getting people 
to do all these deeds which are evil. As we see in, in John 3, and that verse goes on in verse 20, For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light. If if you're doing evil, if you're forcing the contributions of your neighbor, you're doing evil. You hateth the light. You're not born again. I don't care how emotional you got at one point in your life where you think that that is the day you were born again. According to Scripture, if you're still doing evil, you're not born again. You haven't cometh to the light, the truth, the way. Lest your deeds be reproved. And of course, that's what I'm doing. And of course, I can get into a lot of trouble by pointing out the fact that all these people who think they are saved, who think they believe in Christ, who think they are born again, are actually under a strong delusion and have need of repentance which is required for the remission of sins. And we'll, we'll see that as we go through the text of where it talks about remission of sins. And like I said, because the word is not always translated remission, uh, it will be a surprise to some people to find out where else that word appears, where the apostles use that word in the scripture, but it was translated as something else. So again, we have a great deal of detail on, on John 3, and you can go read that at preparingyou.com. There's going to be a meeting in Florida. If you're not listening to this show live, you won't probably know about it from the announcement on the show. We may send out some emails on it, and we'll talk about it later in the show. But uh, the reality is, is that uh, you need to start coming together so that you can reprove one another, so you can you can impress upon one another what the modern churches are missing. I I deal a lot with home churches and home church groups who talk about, oh, this is church, this small home church group. And, of course, the early church was composed of thousands and thousands of small groups of like ten families that were networked together in order to provide a daily ministration, a welfare not based on force, those men who called themselves benefactors but exercised authority, not based on the free bread of the Roman government or the free bread of the pharisaical government as set up by Herod, because those systems were making the God to none effect, uh, the, the word of God to none effect. So that the people ended up sitting in darkness because they hated the light. They did not want to see that you cannot covet your neighbor's goods. I I did a lot of work to set up a clinic in a valley nearby, a volunteer work, uh, drawing the plans and giving them estimates of what it would be like to set up that clinic. And and the, the clinic is... It's, it's kind of still there, but a lot of people won't even go to it anymore. But when we were meeting on a regular basis and talking about doing this, everybody was talking about creating this clinic with donated funds through charity. And then all of a sudden, somebody came in, uh, who I still know, uh, 
doesn't talk to me much, but he came in and he said, you know, we of course, that we have to put this on the tax rolls. Or we just never get this off the ground. Well, they eventually put it on the tax rolls. And of course, as soon as I saw that some of the people who thought they were Christians wanted to put this health clinic on the tax rolls to force the people in their community to contribute to what they thought they ought to have, I said, I can't, I can't help you anymore. I can't be a part of this coveting process of desiring to force your neighbor to give up what he has so that you can have something for free. And they said, well, if we don't do this, we won't get a clinic. If you do this, you don't deserve a clinic. Well, they got a clinic, but it's it's crippled constantly. It's having all kinds of difficulties. And it, it doesn't really provide the services that they wanted. And uh, the people who were, you know, that I was working with that were trying to start this, who thought that they were Christians, they're, they've all passed away now. They got the clinic, it's on the tax rolls, it's forcing everybody to contribute to it, and it's not working out so well. We see the same thing with the public schools. And people are trying to fix it with charter schools and and what have you. But the reality is, it's doomed to failure once you decided to force your neighbor to pay for what you want for free. You say, well, I, I pay taxes too in and, and, and support of the school. But the reality is it's a covetous practice. You know, w- what is one child at school's going to cost? It used to be about $6,000. i have heard now that it's like 20000 per student. It depends on the school. Goes to the school system to provide education for one child. Well, how many of you are who have two or three kids in school are paying thirty, forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars a year to put your kid in the school? And what what is the result? I mean the kids, you know, there was an article just today uh and uh the Epoch Times or Epic Times about the idea of dumbing down Education is the key to dismantling America, according to Alex Newman. He's written an article on it. Well, we wrote an article, Schools as Tools. We go back and show you the whole history that the schools you went to were actually dumbing you down. So that, you know, the those schools in the 1930s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, were more and more dumbing people down because what was getting into the textbooks and then now what's getting into, you know, like critical race theory and all these things, it's not only dumbing them down, it's teaching them falsehoods. This is a long ongoing process where the old normal has brought you the new normal. You have to go way back to find what was making America great because at one time in America it was taking care of all the social welfare in America not through the government but through charity and by the na- because that is a part of the nature of the gospel of the kingdom it was 
making America great. People could see things more clearly. Now they sit more and more in darkness. The more they engage in those covetous practices, no matter for what good cause they are, the more they will flee the light across the board. And and so you can go to Preparing You and, and read our article on uh, Schools as Tools and, and see what the history of how men got together, organized themselves, worked together to alter the way in which Americans viewed history. And, of course, this began to affect lots of other uh, subjects. You know, the, the classics of... Uh, you know, the literature, certain certain uh, books and authors were just removed from the educational system along with their opinions. And the whole of society, your parents, your grandparents, were a part of this ongoing process of dumbing down society so that they won't see it. So that it would eventually bring what we have today, which is the new normal. The new normal is a process, is a product of a process that came out of the old normal. And you need to get all the way back to Christ, not back to some church. Some people say, well, I, I think we should start going to church. No, I don't think you should. I, I think you need to find out what the church really is, what it really was, what Christ was really saying, and and, and go there. So anyway... I, I started this article and I was still working on it early this morning. I was working on it late last night. I was working on it all week. Talking about this remission. We see this word remission ten times in the King James Bible. And remission is translated from the same Greek word. Which is Ephesus. And it has a very specific meaning. But it actually appears about 17 times in, in the text. But you only see it ten times as remission. So I thought we'd go through these different texts and and relate them to the rest of the Bible because it's not good to pull quotes out of the Bible and look at them by themselves only. Because you're, you're pulling it out of the context of the whole message. And... And that can lead to a strong delusion and has. So this, this Greek noun supposedly means release from bondage. That's what remission, we're told that remission means. This Greek word actually means. And it's from a Greek verb which suggests the idea of permitting one to go their way as if they were pardoned. It would be like why did the people that were in bondage of Egypt end up in the bondage of Egypt? Well, like I've said many times, we live in a cause and effect universe. That's what God created was a cause and effect universe. And because the brothers of Joseph sold Joseph into bondage, they themselves went into bondage. God did not have Joseph sold into bondage so that he could save his brothers from the famine. 
if Joseph was with his brothers, his brothers could have prepared for the famine <laughs> themselves. And they would have been the leaders of the world, showing them the righteous way. But they were not righteous. They were unrighteous to their brother. And so, therefore, they went into bondage. When you vote to have some benefit provided you by taking away from your neighbor, you're literally voting to put your neighbor into bondage. You're going to up his taxes so that you can have more free stuff. And he's going to be forced to contribute, you know, and... And at least in Egypt, they could only take 20%. That was the theory. They would only take one-fifth of your labor, and they would provide you with social welfare. But every time you vote to increase that burden beyond 20%, and it is beyond 20%, most people pay way more than 20% of their labor to the government. I mean, they they might pay 20% income tax, and and 14% Social Security tax, and then there's property tax, and sales tax, and gasoline tax, and they're paying all kinds of taxes. And the more you try to increase that, the more you will go into bondage. It's built in to God's creation. It's automatic. Remission suggests the idea that we break that cycle. And supposedly we have this remission of sins because of the deeds of Jesus Christ. But is that really what the biblical text says? Uh, and that's what we're going to take a look at. But we can see uh, Matthew quotes Jesus as using this term remission during this ritual meal of Passover where he relates it to his shedding of blood for many. During the crucifixion. And we see it in Matthew 26, 28. For this is my blood. And he's he's talking about, you know, they're eating the bread and drinking the wine of the Passover meal. And he, and supposedly, these are all, a lot of these things are symbol. Even the use of the word blood is to some degree symbolic. But the wine represents the blood. And the bread represents the flesh. But these are representative. These are metaphors trying to express spiritual ideas to people who are often very physical and, and not thinking spiritually. This is why Jesus is always talking in parables. And he says this. It's given unto you guys to know the mysteries of the kingdom but not given unto them. So he teaches other people mostly in parables which is full of this, these metaphors and symbols. So, when we're looking at Matthew twenty six twenty eight, it says, For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. So, we're going to see all the other places when we come back to keys of the kingdom. So, we see in Matthew twenty six twenty eight, For this is my blood of the New Testament, as Jesus holds up the wine that they're about to drink, at the Passover, or the Last Supper as we call it, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. 
And uh, by the shedding of the blood, everyone is evidently not to be automatically released from this bondage, the, this, the consequences of sin. Uh, now, the sin that he's talking about, a lot of people say, oh, well, this is the original sin and the sin of Adam. Well, the original sin of Adam was that people tried to decide for themselves what was good and evil. They were eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This is what Adam and Eve were doing. They were eating of this tree so that they were deciding for themselves what was good and evil rather than walking with the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, that was guiding them in their footsteps. They they weren't going to do that. They were going to decide for themselves. This, this is a sin that everybody commits. This is the 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 sin... That is unforgivable as long as we continue to do it, which is to blaspheme the Holy Spirit, to reject the tree of life. If we do that, we cannot be saved. If we continue to do that, we cannot be saved. And this is, this gets into the realm of spiritual salvation and being born again of the Spirit. And like I say, a lot of people think they're born again of the Spirit, but they're still committing evil. They're still coveting their neighbor's goods, which is a violation of those ten statements of the cause and effect universe in which God has put us. Those ten commandments have added to that page too to to make us understand. You know, we we see this word commandment. We see ten commandments. I think it only appears about three times in the whole Bible. I mean, it talks about it many times. It talks about the different statements there, the, the the ten statements of God. We think of these uh, ten commandments as ten laws. But the word that we have there for commandment is not the word for law. It, it's a, quite a different word. But we won't get off on that subject. Let's just focus on this idea that Jesus is shedding his blood that everybody will be saved or that many will have this remission of sins. And is there other conditions to the remission of sins? There must be because it's not everybody who has remission of sins, but only many. And, of course, again, if we're going to read this in conformity with the rest of the Bible, then we can look at John three seventeen, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Now, that word world there means constitutional order or system of government. Jesus' kingdom was not of the world. It was not of the world of Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate was about to sit in the judgment seat to judge Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ tells them, you've got no jurisdiction because my kingdom's not of this world. I have no contract with Rome, and so therefore, you can't sit in judgment of whether or not I am king. Now, Pilate agreed that Jesus was king, and he even wrote an official document saying that Jesus was king. But here, in when he was about to sit in the judgment seat, 
to judge whether or not Jesus was king. Jesus says you don't have that right. Now, if you understood all the history surrounding the presence of Rome even being in Judea, they were invited into Judea, originally by Aristobulus, to dissettle one question. Who was the rightful king? And, of course, Pontius Pilate settled the question with the help of the Pharisees. Because the Pharisees said, we have no king but Caesar. And the spokesman of Caesar, Pontius Pilate, said, there is no king of Judea but Jesus Christ. <laughs> so, so it was settled. So anyway, back to John three seventeen, Jesus, the Son of God, now we're all children of God, but Jesus was this only begotten Son of God, came into the world not to condemn it, not to condemn Rome. Rome could condemn itself, but Jesus wasn't there to destroy Rome. Rome existed in a cause and effect universe, and so therefore if it does certain things, it will destroy itself. And of course, it eventually did those things and destroyed itself. The same as the United States is destroying itself because it's doing what Rome did. You read our articles on Rome and see the correlations of the history of the two because history does repeat itself. But Jesus wasn't there to condemn the world. I'm not here to condemn the United States. But I'm here to tell you the knowledge of this remission of sins so that you might be saved. And this is what Jesus was doing, and we'll see that in the other quotes involving the remission of sins. John the Baptist was doing that. And uh, and we can see also in John 5, 34, But I received not the testimony from man, but these things I say that ye might be saved. So Christ is saying that you might be saved if you listen to what I'm saying. I'm telling you things so that you might be saved. It's not just about him dying on the cross or shedding his blood. That is a part of deciding who those many are. It has to do with those that are listening to what Christ said and actually doing what Christ said. And of course, this has nothing to do with earning salvation. It's just simply, if you're still doing evil, you're not born of the Spirit. You will not be doing evil when you're really born of the Spirit. You think that somehow, that this is the twist that you get from a lot of these pastors. Is that, oh, you can still sin and everything. You're still going to be saved. Jesus never says that. Jesus says, not those who say, Lord, Lord, but those who do it the will of the Father. So there has to be this repentance. And like I said, we'll see that. So I have another heading there on the page. And all this may change as I continue to add to this and work with this. But I wanted to get this message out there. I've got messages stacked up now of different things that we need to go over and, and create recordings of and put with these different pages so that people can start to learn what they're not going to hear in all the other churches. Because all the other churches are interested in... Uh, I was just talking to somebody who was trying to bring all the different pastors in our communities together. And some won't come. 
they they don't even want to have a conversation with anybody else. What they're afraid of is that they might lose some of their parishioners, their the people who come to them if they hear from these other people. They are intentionally dividing the people. Now Christ said that we were to sit down in these groups of tens, but we were to network together so that we were the corpus of Christ, the body of Christ. We weren't to isolate our congregations off from other congregations. How in the world could Paul have done what he was doing? Taking relief all over the Roman Empire during runaway inflation and and uh, food shortages and all the things that the United States and most countries around the world are about to face. They're all going to be facing these same things that we saw in the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. And it, it absolutely behooved the people to actually start doing what early Christians were doing instead of what modern Christians are doing, which is dividing one another all over the world. Now, we do have people like uh, the Pope and uh, the Sheikh of Saudi Arabia who are getting together to build uh, tolerance religious, you know, have this one world religion. But they won't even tell you what religion actually means. We tell you what religion means, what the word used to mean 200 years ago in America, what it meant 2,000 years ago at the time of Jesus Christ, what it meant at the time of Abraham, why he built the altars that he did. Those were religious altars. And, and, you know, actually I've added uh, several pages. One page I added was called Meat. (laughs) because they mention this word meat on a regular basis. And they talk about altars of blood and uh, where you you sacrifice these animals and you burn up the blood. You, You pour out the blood. But you can eat the meat, it says. Yet this was sacrificed on an altar, but you're eating the meat. What's the deal? Again, these are metaphors. These are symbolic. Those altars of clay and stone are talking about institutions of God. They're not actually talking about a pile of stones. Same word in the Hebrew for a pile of stones is a, is a gathering of friends. And so what the early altars were were systems of social welfare that created the bands of a free society. It bound the free society together not by force, not by fealty, not by covenants uh, or contracts, let's call them contracts, that are enforceable in legal systems, but it bound the people together by faith, hope, and charity. This is what the early church was learning to do. And this is how they were able to sit down in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands and survive the decline and fall of the Roman Empire because they were creating these bands and bonds of society, of a free society, because they were taking care of all social welfare through faith, hope, and charity. Which is part of the instructions of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. We can see Paul, who preached Christ first, also made similar references to those who might 
or evidently might not be saved. We see it in Romans 10.1. Brethren, my heart desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Or in 1 Thessalonians 2.16, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved, to fill up their sin always, for the wrath is come upon them to the uttermost. So this idea of might be saved is very important. You say you believe in Jesus Christ, and so therefore you are saved, but do you really believe? Then we'll look at some of the things that the Scriptures tells us to look for to determine whether we do believe or if we are under a strong delusion. Now, a lot of pastors aren't going to show you these Scriptures because they want you to keep coming. They want you to be saved without repentance. But, of course, that's not what it talks about when it talks about the remission of sins. Uh, this failure to be saved is not because Jesus failed. It is not because people do not believe Jesus died that they might be saved or that there is no God. I mean, we know... That the devil believes that there is a God. You know, James says it in, in chapter 2, verse 12. Thou believest that there is one God. Thou doest well. The devil also believes and trembles. So we see that just believing that Jesus is who he said he is, or that God is who he is, whatever that consists of in your mind. I don't know, you know, I believe that there is a God, but when people always want me to say certain phrases, but I don't know what they think that means. <laughs> so, if I say that I, I don't necessarily believe in their God. <laughs> I believe in the God, the God who created this cause and effect universe. That I see all these patterns of his creation in everything. That is not random. That is a pattern. If it was a pattern, something some, something we call God created that pattern. It is because they are deceived by others or even by themselves that they receive not the love of the truth. That going back to John where he's talking about they love the darkness. They don't love the light. Yeah, a second... Thessalonians, uh, chapter 2, verse 10. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. So, what unrighteousness? Well, Coveting your neighbor's goods through men who exercise authority one over the other. Something Christ forbid. We're not to be that way. We're not supposed to be engaging in covetous practice. Peter tells us this. Through covetousness or covetous practices, you will be made merchandise. That means return to the bondage of Egypt where you're now a possession. And, and they were able to do this through deceivableness. They deceived you. 
but you were deceivable because you did not love the light. And the thing is, is that when you choose to deny certain truths that are inconvenient to your pride or your vanity, you will also not see the other truths associated with this. And uh, uh, you will go back into this bondage, which is what Peter was telling you. Because of your covetous practice, desiring stuff at the expense of others, desiring, you know, benefits by taking away from your neighbor, because you did that, and that's pervasive, not just in America, but in Canada, Australia. I mean, Australia set up a social security system before the United States even did. They were farther along, which is why their lockdowns have been so effective. One of the reasons is there's always a multitude of reasoning because of the fact that everything is connected. You know, this, I talked about it last week on our afternoon show a little bit, but this idea of a monotheistic God. You know, a lot of the cultures who had multiple gods, and I'm not going to say everyone because there's so many varieties out there, but what they were really saying is that they had personification of certain characteristics of God. They were all of the same God, but this characteristic of courage and this characteristic of wisdom and this characteristic of mercy uh, or sharing or whatever was in these different personifications of God. They didn't really believe in so many different gods, but we call that, you know, polytheistic approach to God. And this monotheistic approach to God, there is one God. This is important in understanding the singularity, if I can borrow that term, the singularity of God, that if you deny one aspect of the character of God, it will affect your perception of all the other aspects of the character of God, the characteristics of God, the name of God. Because, again, when they say to do things in the name of God or the name of Jesus Christ, these are metaphors. Doing in the name. The word name is a metaphor, meaning the character of Christ. You have to do these things in the character of Christ. Like I say in John fourteen fifteen, it says, If you love me, keep my commandments. In John fourteen twenty one, he says, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved by, uh, of my Father. And I will love him. And I will manifest myself in him. Through, through basically the Holy Spirit. Yet, we have modern preachers saying, no, you don't have to keep the commandments. And we know you're still saved because you love the Father, you love the Son. But he's saying, if you love me, you will keep the commandments. He says this in John 15.10. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Or in the epistles, 1 John 5.2. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. This is how you know. It isn't how you earn it. You don't keep the commandments and earn salvation. 
agreed. But if you're not keeping the commandments, if you're doing evil, you're not born again. You, there is not remission of sins. And you're not saved. And anybody who is telling you that you are is leading you into condemnation. They are false prophets. They are not preaching the gospel of Christ. They're not saying what Christ said. They're not saying what the scriptures said Christ said. So they're not preachers of Christ. They're not ministers of Christ. They're, they're preaching their own doctrines. They're not a part of the church established by Christ. Am I a part of the church established by Christ? Well, what am I doing? Who am I quoting? Am I quoting Christ? Or am I quoting the doctrines of the Lutherans or the Methodists or the Catholics? or Whose doctrines am I? The church has to be promoting the doctrines of Christ. What he said. And John 1, 5, 2, we see, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. So anybody telling you you don't have to keep the commandments and you can be saved, why are they even saying that? You need to know that keeping the commandments and not keeping the commandments is giving you evidence of a need for repentance or not. If you're not keeping the commandments, you have need of repentance. And repentance is a key element in the remission of sins, as we will see. First <laughs> John 5, 3. For this is the love of God, that we keep the commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. They're not grievous if we really love him. They're only grievous if we don't really love him, and that we really love ourselves, or... Maybe love ourselves more than our neighbors. Because we're supposed to love our neighbors as ourselves. And we won't be throwing our neighbors into bondage. We won't be increasing their tax load. Because we want more benefits if we really love them. We won't be trying to take away the sweat of their brow or the blood of their veins. By imposing burdens upon them so that we can have free stuff. We will have the patience of saints and wait for them to come together and take care of one another in faith, hope, and charity, rather than depending upon men who exercise authority, who depend upon force and fear and fealty. The new norm of being afraid of all this COVID and and uh, vaccinations and all this stuff is coming because you are already living by fear. And one of the first things that Christ tells us is to fear not. We can even go into the Old Testament, Exodus 20, uh, verse 6, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. This, this is, in this cause and effect universe, these commandments, and this is why I worked on the whole articles concerning the commandments, because the word commandments doesn't mean law. It's it's not ten laws. There's there isn't a, a criteria of you know like if you do this you get two years in hell or <laughs> all this other stuff that other churches have tried to create. He's showing you 
it, the word is really means statements, but it could mean guideposts, guiding statements. His commandments are telling you how this cause and effect universe works. That if you do these things or don't do these things as they're prescribed in the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not do this and thou shalt not do that and thou shalt, you know, honor your father and your mother. And we pointed out that the word honor there means to take care of. You're supposed to be taking care of your father and your mother, providing for them. And being there for them. So that if you do that, your days may be longer upon the land because your children will take care of you. Anyway, we'll be right back to Keys of the Kingdom. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. Like I say, everybody should be a part of the network. That's what the early church was. That was part of the way, was a network of congregations, small congregation, intimate congregations of people that were learning to care about each other as much as they care about themselves. And they were networked together because of the decline and fall of the Roman Empire. We see, you know, Augustus was the first Caesar. The Republic was coffin was being nailed shut by the acts of Augustus and uh, he was big for, you know, when he ran for office, most people don't know this that, that, that he actually was elected to office by an electoral college <laughs> of the people and uh, the office of Imperator was 10 years and the officer uh, the office of Principas Civitas which is first citizen was a one year term and the office of Apotheos, or Apotheosis, was, uh, actually I can't remember how many years that was, but that was, those offices were the three offices that were held by Augustus, although he didn't hold those offices all the time, because he was out of Rome for long periods of time, somebody else held the office of Principas Civitas, which is literally the president of Rome. But uh, the apotheosis of Rome appointed the imperial judges throughout the Roman Empire. And uh, that's all these offices correlate with the single office of presidency in the United States. He appoints judges. Uh, you, like I say, you can go to this, uh, the United States Capitol, the picture up there in the dome. Uh, you look up at it. It's a picture called the apotheosis of Washington. Because, and I, I'm reading from the U.S. government website, raises Washington to the rank of God. <laughs> because he was the appointer of all the federal judges throughout the United States. So, the the similarities, you, you probably don't know, but it's important to study history so that you see, I'm not condemning anybody. I'm not here to condemn the United States. I'm not here to condemn the world. I'm here to give you the knowledge of liberty under God. And if you had more of that knowledge, your your government would not have taken certain courses of events that has has come about over the years. You would have not gone down uh, and traveled from the old norm to the new norm as easily. And we can show you chronology of the changes in the approach towards government, the relationship of the people to government. And like I say, you know, even though 
uh, Augustus ran on this idea of family values and restoration of the Republic, he was literally nailing the nails into the coffin of the Republic throughout his administration, which lasted a little more than 25 years. But during that period, Jesus was born. John the Baptist was born. And they started preaching something different than what Augustus was preaching, what Tiberius was preaching, what Nero would be preaching. And so therefore they came into conflict with Rome. You read our article on Christian conflict. This conflict with Rome was the uh, fact that uh, Rome wanted everybody, wanted everybody to sign up for their social welfare system, their free bread, and even their circuses. You know, they had these events. They had the, you know, the main big Colosseum circuses, but they had little ones throughout the Roman Empire. And, you know, like traveling circuses to some degree. And you could get in for free if you had a tessera. You could get free bread if you had a tessera. And a tessera was like a little clay uh, coin. You show that. And you could get in free. You might get the cheap seats. <laughs> you might get the cheaper bread. I don't know. Uh, but the bread wasn't always just bread. It was often wine. It was sometimes money, etc. That there was being, you know, stimulus money given out to the people. And uh, this was, because, never existed really before Augustus to any degree whatsoever, almost to any major degree. But with this tesserer, which is a lot like an EBT card or whatever you want to, you know, your social security card, you get this when you sign up with the temple. Christians didn't have those. Christians didn't sign up with the temple because those were the men who called themselves benefactors but exercised authority. They wouldn't do that. And because they wouldn't do that, they were hated sometimes by the people and occasionally persecuted by the government itself. And this, it, there's a whole history of this. And when we shared all over our websites, like preparingyouorhisholychurch.org, so that you can learn the history with thousands of footnotes and recordings and everything. And we make it all available for free. You can even download the books that we've published for free. You just ask on the network. But it's important. It doesn't do any good to get this head knowledge if you don't change your way to the way of Christ. And the way of Christ included sitting down in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands and starting to take care of one another. Starting to keep the commandments. And one of those commandments that Jesus quotes Moses is to love thy neighbor as thyself. The thou shalt nots are really telling you what's not loving your neighbor. If you're coveting your neighbor's goods, that's not love. If you're asking, if you're making contracts with men who exercise authority to take away the blood of your neighbor, to take a bite out of your neighbor so that you can have more stuff, that's not being a Christian. That's not following God. That's not, and so this whole idea of 
doing these things that were counted as sins, coveting your neighbor's goods, making agreements with other men, making them gods, like I'm pointing out, the, these judges are ruling judges. The word God itself, Elohim, or Theos in the Greek. These terms were used in the Bible to refer to ruling judges, men who could decide good and evil for you. You know, like right now, everybody's talking about, can they force vaccination? That was in the news just before we started the program. Well, they're going to judges who are going to decide, oh, yes, it's good to force vaccinations. Or maybe the judge will decide, no, it's not good to force vaccinations. But the judge gets to decide. And you have contracts with these guys where they can now force you to do what they think is good or evil. And unfortunately, many of them are going to call evil good, and others may call good evil. And that's what eventually happened to the Christians. It was evil of them not to sign up for the social welfare offered by Augustus Caesar, Tiberius, Nero, etc. They had to sign up, and once they signed up, they had to pay in. This is what we see going on with Herod and the Pharisees. If you signed up with the baptism of Herod, you had to pay in to the social welfare system run through the temples of Herod, both the temple in Jerusalem and the temple of Roma. He had both temples he created. Both operated very much the same with a little bit different traditions. You didn't have to get circumcised if you were signed up with the temple of Roma. And that was real popular with a lot of people. They didn't like the idea of circumcision. And the truth is, is even if you signed up with the temple in Jerusalem, they it was only the Pharisees that were forcing circumcision. And there were other groups, Sadducees. The Zealots probably did. Maybe the Essenes did that as well. But the Essenes had a very different view of the same Torah that the Pharisees were using. They they referred to the Pharisees' interpretation of the Torah as a fiction and a fraud. Most of this was because they understood the metaphors and symbolism. The Essenes took care of most all of their needy through charity. They had systems of charity set up. They also organized in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. Which is why a lot of people believe that John the Baptist wasn't a scene. It's not the only reason, but it's one of the reasons. And that Jesus, when they refer to him as a Nazarene, they mean a, a, a Nazarene a scene. Because there was no town at that particular time. According to archaeologists, that there were no town by the name of Nazareth at that particular time. That when they say he was from Nazareth, they meant from that social group of Nazarene Essenes. And that's very possible, true, but that's what well, these are debatable items because they're not a hundred percent clear, but what is not debatable is that you should not be coveting your neighbor's goods through men who exercise authority. You should not make contracts you should not be deciding what is good and evil on your own. You should be listening to the Holy Spirit guiding you. You can't even understand the biblical text unless you have the Holy Spirit with you because you'll start mis interpreting it. And many of these quotes that I'm referring to and quoting here, I'm doing it to show that you, what you believe to be true is in conflict with the rest of the scriptures. 
And there, there really shouldn't be the conflict that people think. Uh, or, or, there, or that we're seeing in the doctrines of all these, what, 40,000 different denominations where, that are dividing the people instead of bringing them together. It will be absolutely essential that those who really believe in the way of Jesus Christ start coming together because we are witnessing the beginning of the decline and fall of the American empire and all empire of the world government. They're, they're doomed from the beginning because they've become accustomed to doing things in the way that is considered unrighteous. It's the way of force. Even John the Baptist, you know, when you see Herod setting up a system of forced contributions where your contribution would be collected by Gabi, Molkai, uh, Hebrew tax collectors, where they would even come to your kitchen window and count the Cummings uh, branches uh, on your, your window plants and know that they had a percentage of them that was coming to them. This is this is the mockery of a system that would make the word of God to effect, which is a system of free will offerings. That's why they you see the word free will offering over and over again in the Old Testament. And that you tithe to your Levite, which was a government worker. You tithe to him. He got what he received Based on his service. You got to decide. You tithe to them according to their service. No service, no tithing. Can you imagine the power that would be in the hands of the people if you could go to the what you call public school financed by forced contribution. You go to that public school and you say, I don't think you taught my kids very good this week. I'm not going to pay your salary. <laughs> I'm not going to give the school any money whatsoever because I think you did a poor job. You can't do that because you've created a system of forced contributions. John the Baptist had removed the laver from the temple of Herod and the Pharisees that were getting people to sign up and forcing the contributions of the people. And we explain all this in our article on Herod and the articles on baptism. We show you, we quote, like I say, dozens and dozens of historians who've looked into this matter. So you can see, yeah, it's contrary to what you believed before. But I'm telling you this, as uncomfortable as it may be to you, so that you might be saved. And this is what John the Baptist was doing differently. He was baptizing people out by the Jordan River. It was different water, but that isn't the difference. It wasn't in the laver by the temple. That isn't really the difference. The difference is that he said that if you have two coats and your neighbor has none, share. Do the same in meats. And meats is provisions. In the bread and the welfare that you provide for the needy of your society, the widows and the orphans and the the people that are fallen on hard times, do it through charity, not through forced contributions, because that is the way of righteousness. That is the way of 
Christ. Christ is going to say the same thing. Do it through charity. But the modern church says, no, 90% of the welfare in your society can be taken care of by men who exercise authority one over the other. We'll do a little bit of, you know, charitable mission work. We'll help out the local congregation, the people in it that have needs. But we want them to go to the men who exercise authority. But we know that if you get engage in such covetous practices of desiring benefits at the expense of your neighbor, you will be made merchandise and you will curse your children. All you have to do is look at the news and you know your children are cursed with trillions of dollars worth of debt. They will have to work and work and work and never ever pay off that debt. Will they be in bondage for 400 years like the Israelites were in bondage in Egypt for 400 years because they were in debt to Pharaoh? I don't think they're going to get 400 years. <laughs> I don't think it's going to take that long. But anyway, let's look at Titus 1.16. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable. And disobedient. And unto every good works reprobate. This is where modern Christianity is at. They Oh, they do some nice stuff. But most all of the welfare in their churches is provided by men who exercise authority. By men who force the contributions of your neighbor. By those covetous practices that were forbidden from the Ten Commandments to the Prophets to John the Baptist, to Jesus Christ, to the apostles. Even James in 2.17. Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith with my works, or by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devil also believes and trembles. But will thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? So, it, and, and you know, like I said in Go back to John. I mean, you can go to Revelations 2, too, and they're talking about, I, I know thy works. You talk about the Nicolaitans. God hates the deeds of the Nicolaitans. And what is the Nicolaitans? It's the conquered people. And that's what's happened in America, is the people have been conquered, not by a foreign army coming in, but by their covetous practices. That's what has made them merchandise. That is what has bound them up into this system that is not righteous. It is not righteous. It is not the righteousness preached by Christ, and it's not done in the name of Christ. So, as I said, Paul preached Christ first, even though uh, those who believe they are born again uh, they don't really love the light because they don't want to hear this truth that Christ was so specific about. John the Baptist was so sp- specific about. But Peter was so specific about in this covetous practices that would make people merchandise and curse their children with debt. And 
Now, many of the Romans probably converted to Christianity. Many of the ones who did converted to Christianity because they could remember people like Polybius, who was considered the historian of historians, and he lived uh, about a hundred years before Augustus Caesar. But he saw the handwriting on the wall because he could see this coming. It wasn't nearly as bad as it was with with Augustus. And it certainly wasn't as bad as it was with Nero. But he said the masses continue with an appetite for benefits and the habit of receiving them by the way of the rule of force and violence. And and he goes on from there, but I want to point out that this appetite for benefits is predominant throughout the world today. Everybody wants benefits from these, and they want them by force. John the Baptist did not want you to get those benefits by force. Certainly not by violence, not by, you know, men kicking in your door and 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 taking your property away from you. Now that was going on even before Augustus Caesar. It was starting to. I mean, if you read the life of Julius Caesar, Julius Caesar, you know, was from a wealthy family, but it lost a great deal of its wealth and its property because it aligned itself with the political political uh, leaders that uh, fell out of favor and their property was confiscated. He got it back again and then he lost it again and then he got it back again. But he was an interesting character. We won't go into that. Maybe I'll cover a little bit more of uh, Julius Caesar when we talk more about Augustus. But Polybius is saying the masses have this appetite for benefits and got the habit of receiving them by the way of the rule of force. John the Baptist was not using force. He said that he had to use charity. Jesus said you had to use charity. Paul said you had to use charity. Uh, Peter said you had to use charity. But the modern preacher says you can get those benefits by the force of government, even though Christ said it was not to be that way with us. How can you not see that? Well, evidently, a lot of people can't see that. What can you do about it? Sit down in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands and start learning what it means to take care of the needy of your society through love and charity alone. Polybius went on to say the people having grown accustomed to feeding at the expense of others and depending for their livelihood on the property of others. This is by biting one another. By forcing the contributions of one another. They, he quote, institutes the rule of violence. That it's okay to get benefits by forcing the contributions of your neighbor. People think that's okay. They think they're still Christians and that's okay. But John the Baptist says no. Jesus says no. That's not righteous. And even Polybius, who was supposedly a pagan, knew this 150 years before Christ was even born. And he goes on to say, and now uniting their forces, massacre, banish, and plunder until they degenerate again into perfect savages. Finding once more a master and a monarch. Perfect savages, that's what we see out there on the street, trying to take away the rights of everybody else. And people... People are beginning to see it under the extremities of the shutdowns in Australia and Canada and the United States and all over the world. 
They're beginning to see it. But they don't know what to do about it. Christ is the answer. Christ is your salvation. Polybius saw the downfall of the Republic if they went that way. The way of free bread and welfare by the government. Instead of by love of one another. It it dissolves the bands of a free society. And creates the bands of tyranny. Of those masters and monarchs. Supposing in the American Revolution we dissolve the bands which connected us with the king of Great Britain, who was the one who was really revolting against the colonial charters. We've explained all this, and we have that up there on the on the website and show you why the American Revolution worked was because the people were already learning how to take care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. They tried to do it with the common purse in Plymouth and Jamestown both, and it failed. People were starving every year. And then finally they said, no, you get to keep what you produce. That it didn't, it began charity. It ended the common storehouse of socialism. And prosperity came. But now we've created the one purse society that Proverbs talks about, Proverbs 1, Proverbs 23, if you sit and eat with a ruler, put a knife to your throat. They've telling you this from the beginning of the Bible to the end, but you don't seem to get it because you're listening to pastors who take, pick and choose what verses they want to share with you so that they can continue business as usual. The, this socialist this move towards socialism and legal charity. Go read our article on legal charity. There was all kinds of stuff written about how destructive legal charity is. Legal charity is charity by government. It's not charity. It's an oxymoron statement. It's not. It's it's redistribution of wealth by force and violence. The answer again is Christ, the real Christ, the real church established by Christ. For his doctrines, not the watered-down doctrines of the modern church, the the pick-and-choose doctrines of the modern church, the twisted-and-turned doctrines of the modern church. So anyway, uh, looking here at the clock, we're running out of time, and but there's a lot of verses, like I said, 17 verses that have this word remission in the, in the Greek, although always not translated remission, one is in Mark 1.4. John did baptize in the wilderness and preached the baptism of water? No. The baptism of remission? No. The baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Very specific. Mark is talking about the baptism of repentance. The immersion of yourself, your soul, your mind in repentance, in thinking another way. And of course, we've already explained how that other way was charity instead of force. We'll be right back. Okay, welcome back to the Keys of the Kingdom. Like I said, everybody should be a part of the network. Uh, you should learn to sit down in the fifth 
the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. You should learn to start taking care of one another and start immersing yourself in the baptism of repentance, which is thinking a different way, thinking that it's not okay to force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. It is only okay if you take care of one another through charity. If you don't do it that way, you will end up sitting in darkness. You will not see the light of the truth because you deny the light of love. Love for one another. That you're still indulging in force and fear and violence against your neighbor so that you can have stuff at the expense of your neighbor. You become accustomed to living at the expense of your neighbor, to getting free education at the expense of your neighbor. Now people are actually clamoring for more and more free stuff because they've returned back to the unrighteous wages of Rome. And, of course, Rome fell because of that. Free bread and circuses destroyed Rome. And it's destroying the world today. The the shutdowns, all those things, are only able to make progress against the liberties of people because our old normal allowed us... See, this is why you end up with monarchs and kings or people who may call themselves presidents or whatever, but are acting like monarchs and kings and tyrants and despots is because of the fact that you've been a despot to your neighbor. People are all, you know, like they they want to open up the schools again. No, you want to home teach your kids. You want to start private schools. If you gather together in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands, this would be easy. Or easier. I mean, it's still a burden. But his burden is light. What you're now experiencing is the rest of the burden that you've created for yourselves. You have forged the chains that now bind you. Because you have sold your neighbor, your brother, into servitude to the benefits you wanted. To the free clinics, the free education, the take care of my parents... Uh, Social Security that's always been bankrupt. Social Security has always been bankrupt. It has never, ever, ever been solvent. Now people will say, oh, that's not true. I heard it on the news. Well, you heard a lot of things on the news. And you know now that most of what you hear on the news isn't true. You know, I heard an interesting statistic just this week. I have relatives in Scandinavian countries and and in Sweden, at the very beginning of the pandemic, 50% of the people who died with COVID, I'll say with COVID, were Somali. 50% of them were Somali in the very early stages. And you think, well, why is that? How could that be? Why were they getting it? And yet there are only 1% of the population in Sweden. But 50% of the cases. What was going on? Well, like uh, Dr. Ryan says, and we've shared all this stuff uh, on the network. We've shared it on programs before. 
that there is no such thing as cold and flu season. There is a vitamin D deficiency <laughs> season. And, and uh, uh, the Somalis, when they came to Sweden, they did not adopt the Swedish diet. They're also uh, people of darker complexion have more difficulty synthesizing vitamin D in their skin tissue. Uh, the people who are who live up in in uh, Norway and Sweden, they're very white and very little sunlight will start to reproduce vitamin D in their skin. But if you get high enough in uh, your longitude and latitudes of the world, where you're like we're about 41 degrees here, uh, Rome is at about 40 degrees, but Sweden is way up uh, on the planet. And so during the winter months, they may only get three hours of sunlight during the day. And so that's not enough to produce these amounts of vitamin D that you need. So, you know, the, if you're not getting that sunlight, you're not going to get vitamin D unless you supplement it. Now, grass-fed beef, uh, seafoods. Uh, wild grown seafoods like salmon uh, if you if you get uh, farm f- salmon they don't have the same vitamin D in them but it's the vitamin D that makes you more vulnerable to these illnesses and they did not change their diet they could not manufacture enough vitamin D and now they live in this far northern climate not from Somalia and uh, they fell prey to becoming ill. So this is why doctors like Dr. Ryan and a lot of other doctors, uh, frontline doctors, talk about supplementing your diet with vitamin D. And, you know, we could go into a lot of detail about that, but that is poo-pooed by most of what you hear on the news. They won't tell you that on the news. They won't even tell you those statistics that I just shared with you. And there's other doctors that uh, uh, have done all kinds of work, and they're just blackballed. They're just not, you're not going to hear what they have to say. A great deal of the shortness of breath that people experience eight days after the first signs of these flu viruses is because of an allergic reaction to the protein spikes that are now floating around in your system. And they get lodged in different tissues and you develop, some people will develop an allergic reaction. And this is why they have been able to relieve, and they've done this in Japan, they've done it in, I know doctors in Texas that have done it, but in South Africa there's a doctor who's done it to 7,000 patients that uh, they administer allergic, you know, uh, antihistamine type medicines. And it relieves the allergic reaction enough so that they don't have as much difficulty breathing. And then they only have to do this for a short time. And then eventually the body starts flushing it out of their system. But uh, there's a lot more to that. But the fact is, is that what you're hearing in your news, and we talked about it also at the beginning of the program, schools as tools, what you've been taught in schools a lot of times is not true. It's not the whole truth. What you're being taught in your churches is not the whole truth. 
And so people think that, oh, I go get baptized for the remission of sins. But that's what I just read you, Mark 1, 4. John did baptize in the wilderness and preach the baptism of repentance, of thinking a different way for the remission of sin. And in Luke 3, 3, we see, and he came into all the country about the Jordan preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sin. This, so in actuality, the scripture is talking about this repentance and remission in the same idea. We see it in Luke 24, 47. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name amongst all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. So this, it is repentance that is the key element to the remission of sin. This, this absolving of the consequences of sin. But repentance, this changing of the way you think, will also change the way you act. Simply saying, Lord, Lord, is not enough. You have to be a doer of the word. Jesus has a whole parable. If you don't, if you can't get it when I directly state it to you, remember the parable of the son who said, I'm going to go out and do the job that you're telling me, dad. But he didn't. And the other son who said, I'm not going to do what you told me to do. But then he changed his mind and went and did it. Which one was the good son? Well, the one who changed his mind and went and did what the father says to do. That's the one who has the remission of sin. If you're not doing it, this is why it's so important when you read John 3 about being born again that you also read verses 19, 20, 21. Because if your deeds are still evil, if you're still living in darkness, then you love the darkness and you don't love the light. If you don't want to see that coveting your neighbor's goods is still wrong, then you're, you're not, you're not born again. If you want, and it's amazing when I talk to people about this and show them, they just absolute denial. Well, no, well, of course we can force our neighbor to contribute to what we want, to the health clinic we want, to the, to the free education we want. No, you can't. And be a Christian. You can do it. But that's sin. And you will suffer the consequences of sin. And there is no remission from the consequences of sin because you're still thinking the old norm of sin. You're not thinking the new norm of righteousness. Because you're supposed to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Not just seek the kingdom of God. And if you're seeking to do unrighteous things, you're not seeking righteousness. You know, this statement by Christ, again at the ritual of Passover meal, was said to open our understanding that they and we might understand the scriptures. Do you understand the scriptures? Luke twenty four forty five. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. In Luke one seventy nine we see to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death 
to guide our feet into the way of peace. It is not the way of peace to force your neighbor to contribute to your welfare. That is the way of force and violence. And, and until you repent of that, there is no remission of sins. Whether you're in Australia or Canada or the United States or, you know, Addis Ababa or whatever. You have to stop taking a bite out of one another through the men who exercise authority. By these doctrines of Jesus, we can see that anyone not preaching the importance of repentance in the remission of sins is not preaching or even a minister of Christ. Now, they'll say repentance, but, you know, do you understand that repentance is thinking this other way? This way of righteously taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity out of love. You know, like I say, the same word that we see Christ use all the time as love, when Paul uses the word, they often translate it charity. And the word grace is actually from the Greek word charis, which is where we get the word charity. If you will not show grace to your neighbor and forgive your neighbor and forgive those other people in your maybe in your congregation, then God will not forgive you. And we'll we'll see that over and over again. I don't know if we'll get to it in this show, but we'll get it in the next one. Acts two thirty eight, when Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now this is really important. This gift of the Holy Ghost. This is the tree of life. This is what is going to guide you. Not only in your life, but in the reading of the scriptures. If you didn't notice that Peter said, repent and be baptized. Every one of you. Now, What is the important thing there? Repent or be baptized? If we're talking about the baptism of repentance, he's not talking about the water. He's talking about being immersed in this repentance. Think a different way and get immersed in thinking that different way by what you do. Now, you'll never do enough where you earn salvation. Salvation remains cherished, this By grace. But if you're not doing the works, your claim to faith is dead. Your claim to believe in Jesus is dead. It's not real. Your claim to being born again of the Spirit is not real. Because if you really repent and immerse yourself in that repentance and start doing what Christ said to do, then the Holy Spirit may come to you as a gift. It's still a gift. It's not like a debt. It's not like God has got to send you the Holy Spirit now because you repented. No, it's still a gift. So you, that's why Christ uses words in relationship to that repenting and, and seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness using words like persevere, strive, seek. Because that requires an effort on your part. But it's not your effort that will save you. But most of your effort is letting go of the darkness. Being willing 
to see the light. It would seem reasonable to surmise that by these uh, consistent statements, that without all these elements, including repentance, that you will not receive the true Holy Ghost, nor be born again, or the gifts that are associated with the Holy Spirit. And, of course, we don't see them, really, very much at all, and except sometimes some charlatans are making it out. Anyway, in the, the next section, which we have enough time to probably get to, the way or not the way. The coming of John the Baptist was in part to give the people the knowledge of salvation. They lacked because they sat in darkness. That knowledge was to guide our feet into the way of peace, not in the way of force nor fear, and certainly not in the way of fealty that would return the people to the bondage of Egypt, which is where they were merchandised, where they were human resources. and But that's where you are now at. And you didn't get there simply at the point of COVID. You got there way back with people like FDR and LBJ, who said that, you know, we're going to create a social safety net. I see Ben Shapiro say a lot of things like the government should be out of the religion business. Should be out of the marriage business even. He says marriage should be an institution of the church. Or in his case, the synagogue. Which is a group of ten families. That's what a synagogue used to be anyway. I don't know what they are now. But the reality is he says those things. But then he says that yes, government should have a safety net. No, the government of God has a safety net through faith, hope, and charity. The governments of the world have a safety net through men who exercise authority one over the other. And if you go that way, it's the camel's nose in the tent. He's wrong. He's misleading the people. And I hope to tell him that someday to his face. (laughs) So that he has, so that he might be saved. And actually do what God has been saying from the beginning. Because if you look to the pharaohs of the world for your welfare, you will be in bondage again. So, the idea of being blind, captive to your enemy and sitting in darkness was prophesied by Isaiah, by Micah, and by John and by Jesus. If, if we go and read Isaiah 42, 7, to open the blind eyes, to bring out the prisoners from the prison and them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. See, we're already prisoners. We're just now feeling the pain of that prison. And we are prisoners because we were willing, because of our appetite for benefits at the expense of our neighbor. We went into bondage. In Micah 7, 8. And we could go through Habakkuk and all these guys. The cities of blood. We have a oracle on the cities of blood. And Micah 7, 8. Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy, when I fall. I shall arise when I sit in darkness. The Lord shall be a light unto me. But you have to be willing to listen to the Lord. 
You know, Matthew 11, 5, the blind receive their sight and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Or Mark ten fifty one, and Jesus answered and said unto them, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? The blind man said unto him, Lord, I might receive my sight. I wish that you receive the sight that Christ was saying that you were not to covet your neighbor's goods. Paul said you were not to covet. Those that covet, he says, will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is the guy who supposedly said the law is done away with. The law that was done away with was the pharisaical application of the law in a system of Corbin, a system of sacrifice that was making the word of God to none effect because it was no longer free will offerings. That law was being done away with. God was, Christ was not licensing covetous practices. Those covetous practices will still make you merchandise. They are not righteousness. They are not the righteousness of the kingdom. They are the unrighteousness of the wages of unrighteousness. The benefits are the wages, the rewards of unrighteousness, which the gospel talks about, which we see written in the text of the scriptures. Those that love the wages of unrighteousness, those benefits that come to you by the expense of others, or at the expense of others. Luke 7.21, And in that same hour he cured many of their infirmities and plagues and the evil spirits. And unto many that were blind he gave sight. But the real sight he gave was what was unrighteous. And what was righteous? He showed through the spirit that dwelleth in him. He showed us what was righteous. If you have not seen that, you have not received the Holy Spirit. And I'm showing you the conflicting quotes of the Bible. They're not conflicting with each other, but they're conflicting with the interpretations that we get from the modern church. Who has delivered the people back into the bondage of Egypt. Back into a place where they are now human resources. Paul writes in Romans 3 about the people who have all gone out of the way. Even though they are all come together, they are unprofitable. And do not do, and they do not do good. You have a great deal of prosperity or seemingly comfort and prosperity in America or have, although we see it starting, you know, with runaway inflation and all that. We will see that diminish rapidly. But the reality is you have not been prospering. You're in debt by trillions upon trillions of dollars. Every individual citizen of the United States, citizens of Australia, citizens of New Zealand, citizens of Canada, Citizens of Malaysia, citizens of Israel are all in debt, huge debt. And they are in debt because they have not been attending on an individual basis 
to the weightier matters. What Christ calls the weightier matters. Most Christians can't even tell you what Christ listed as the weightier matters. Because they have become workers of iniquity. But they have preachers and pastors who tickle their ears. And have rituals and ceremonies that talk about faith, hope, and charity, but they are actually cared for in their communities by force and fear and fealty. And because of that, they have become merchandise. They have cursed their children and have not gone the way of peace. But anyway, those of you, join us on the network. Uh, go to preparingyou.com. We have a meeting coming up uh, in Florida at uh, Okeechobee, I think it is, uh, to Flagler Park tomorrow at 1 o'clock. And uh, go there and start organizing in that area. There's There could be meetings all over the United States and, and Australia and South Africa. Until then, peace on your house and may God be with you. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.